Hello and welcome to Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI meetup groups in San Francisco, Cambridge, New York City, London, Toronto and Zurich. This week we're interviewing individuals participating in Neo4j's Graphs for Good Hackathon, which wraps up this month. And today from Philadelphia, we are very lucky to have Corinne Wallach in person talk to us about the database company, Neo4j. She's the Community Development Program Manager. Corinne works at organizing this Graph for Good hackathon, and she's going to tell us all about the past, present and future of this entire incredible initiative. So welcome, Corinne. Thanks for joining us. Um, Yeah, thank you for having me. So you're, you're heading the hackathon. Tell us all about it. We're so excited to have you here today. And, you know, we've been hearing from individuals and we hope to hear from more. How's it been? So it's been great. Um, if people are listening or not familiar with Neo4j, it's a, it's a graph database company where mm-hmm. it basically is, it's a database that allows you to store your data in the shape of a network, like a graph theory network, rather than like a chart graph. Um, right. so it, be able to see connections and patterns and things like that inside of your data that a lot of relational databases do not allow for. So I've been working with them for quite a while, managing our global developer community. And naturally, our community already has a lot of projects that are graphs for good, um, that kind of fall into that category naturally. So we have like people who do genetic research and, you know, with cancer treatments, we have people mm-hmm. who are working on diabetics data. We have people who are working on environmental data. So there's a lot of really interesting graph projects. I think this hackathon was really inspired by a combination of two things. One is we, are, we had some people from our community that were reaching out to us and pinging us about COVID-19 and how that they wanted to be able to utilize these data sets and these projects that they wanted to work on and they wanted to see how we could support them. So that was one side. And then the other side of it, was actually, uh, we were already planning on doing this before the whole COVID-19 outbreak. Um, it was just going to be formatted a little differently. Right. But a lot of it was based on where we currently are as a global society, where I think that people have this internal desire to kind of want to do something good and help people. Like People want to be kind to each other and give back. And I think it makes people feel good. So we created this hackathon. We call it a hackathon. It's, a, it's actually like more of a collaborative hackathon. There are no winners. So we're not having finalists and prizes or any of that stuff. Everything it's focused on. And I, I told my team this when we were building out the hackathon and what it was going to look like. It's like, I don't want it to be competitive. I want right. people to participate because they want to contribute to something good and they want to collaborate. Like and the, what are you finding is, is different and unique with that? We've interviewed a few already and every single one is just phenomenal. Well done in, in attracting such incredible you know, projects. But what, what have you found is, is being special? I feel like I, I'm a very fortunate person to be managing a community that's already really nice and smart and collaborative. Like they are really big on giving in general. Yeah. Um, so it's actually not something that's surprising to me that when we announced something like this, that we had 200 people register, you know, immediately. But I think that it, I don't know, it kind of just highlights how much good there is in people and how that they're willing to take their expertise and apply it to something that'll help society. 
in general. Indeed, yeah. And and we, I mean, are you finding people are um, across, is it US-based or are you finding different projects coming from, yeah, all over the globe? How How's it been? You said 200 projects. Do you want to? Well, know, so 200 of... hackers. Mm -hmm. um, oh, for hackers, about, sorry. Yeah, so we have about 18 projects registered for the hackathon, but there are some others that are trickling in from other places. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of left it very open for people to participate however they'd like to. Um, it's more of like the overall initiative and there's a place to go where they can get resources and support and things like that. But it is definitely a global thing. People are definitely looking. And it, and there's a lot of different kinds of projects too. So we definitely saw a high response to like COVID related types of projects. So there are things that um, are like knowledge graphs and there's things that are related to like identifying vaccines or um, tracking exposure of different people and things like that. But we also have things that are like supply chain in uh, COVID-19 related things. So like, people being able to get the right materials over to medical professionals. If somebody has an abundance of something, how can we make sure that we're utilizing these resources appropriately? Wonderful. Like a very yeah. interesting project that could be actually applied in a lot of different places. We also have, um, there's a project on violence in Syria and there's a project on knowledge graphs in the UN around their 17 sustainability goals. Some really and on the sustainability development goals, I think I think the takeaway yesterday we talked to Lambert and um, Vivek, and they 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 talked around you know just the coordinated effort. So it seems like Neo, you know, Four J is a great home for this hackathon. Um, do you want to do you want to just talk about how that all got started? The whole Neo Four J um, is that something you want to delve yeah. into? Or should we um, move back into yeah, the actual hackathon. No, no, no I, could t I could talk about it because it's kind of interesting. I've been working with Neo for, oh, actually, this is my three-year mark officially in April. So right. for three years now. And the way I actually ended up getting involved with Neo was through a volunteer hackathon that we were, I was working on with a, uh, he's a postdoc researcher at University of Pennsylvania. His name is Daniel Himmelstein. He's the one that does cancer genetic research and he uses yeah. Neo4j for his research and we were working on a hackathon together that lasted like almost two years to put machine learning in the hands of cancer biologists if anybody's curious it's cognoma.org like okay. cognition carcinoma cognoma.org and uh it takes a bunch of historical data and like you know does all this cool stuff so uh, Neo4j actually sponsored our kickoff that we had uh two years before that and gotcha. uh, that was like a two-year volunteer driven hackathon and that's how I actually ended up finding my job. So it's just natural, I guess, that, you know, people are doing good things, but. That's fun. That's really, really inspiring, actually. You know, I think, I think that that energy, we need more of that. And what can you tell us, you know, you're, you're right in the middle of the, the, the hackathon. Can you, can you just tell us a little bit more about the participants this year? It looks like you've brought in, you know, people from all sorts of, areas as we've already mentioned the sdgs and the the um we talked to someone who's doing some language at aspen and there's a lot of diversity so we'd love to hear more about what's excited you about the participants and you know do you want to just maybe pick a few and i know it's hard to, to no no i mean, actually i was going to say something very similar to what you said like yeah. variety uh -huh. things and how people got inspired to work on these specific projects you know, you'd almost think like 
I, I don't know, I guess naturally you might think like, oh, okay, we might probably gonna get so many of the same types of projects during COVID-19, but like, they're all so different. And there's so many people that are like willing to help each other. So I think that that's like pretty cool. But I mean, I think that the variety of different types of projects, and I think that's something that I think is pretty inspiring to see how people are applying uh, graphs to all these different problems to try mm -hmm. to give society a solution. And you've, you've created this lovely community. Um, and, and in running the hackathon, I mean, what, what could you share that, you know, helps catalyze interesting projects? Um, I mean, you, you said you were thinking about something before COVID-19, but, but this seemed to be the right yeah. kind of theme for it, this hackathon. And, and I'm already getting people saying, oh, we want, we want to see post hackathon kind of, you know, support um, yes, and, yes. and maybe some even longer term kind of thinking perhaps. Um, yeah. What are you, you know, finding running the hackathon and, you know, just from a community point of view, what, so what's going on? This hackathon was supposed to be part of our Graph Connect conference, which was mm -hmm. supposed to happen April 20th. Right. That week. Um, it was scheduled to be New York, New York City at the Marriott. So oh, we're okay. going to have this hackathon at the Stack Overflow office in downtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It was going to be a whole day hackathon. And we were talking about doing graphs for good hack. And actually the guys that you spoke to, like Colin, uh, Vivek and, um, and Lambert, mm -hmm. um, I connected to them through the Thomas, who's the organizer of the Knowledge Graph meetup um, in New York City Knowledge Graph conference. And they were supposed to partner with us. They were like one of our like, different partners that we were going to have for the hackathon. Then the whole COVID-19 thing happened. And obviously what happened happened. Everything just fizzled out. We're like, no more events. And I had told Thomas, I was like, I'm thinking about doing our hackathon and just shifting it to be virtual. So it was like a lot of planning very quickly to like yeah. be able to support something that's, uh, you know, this pretty, it can be pretty complex for people to be able to find each other. And um, I think there's a lot of things that you can learn in terms of collaboration to be able to help people find the right projects. I think that, probably one of my biggest focuses of where I want to be able to help with all these projects is um, trying to help them get the exposure that they need. Right. So a lot of times people are building something and even if they're not fully amazing, complete projects, you know, complete, nothing's ever really complete, but you know what I mean? Even if they're not these like amazing complete projects and they have a little bit of something, it's really not as valuable unless you have people using it. That's right. right? Yeah. And a lot of these people who are putting their work and energy and time to like build these things out, I feel like the least I could do and my, we could do right as, as New York for Jay is like to try to be able to get them some kind of exposure in front of the people who could actually utilize these things that they're building. Yeah. Um, real world applications. I mean, have you, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, you've, you've got the, um, the data to support you know where things are needed you know how do you how do you then get pragmatic about things you know how do you take it from from a hackathon to the real world and and apply it so some of the uh difficulties i think generally speaking is that a lot of hackathons think people create things and then that's it it just sits on the shelf or just dies down and that actually happens, I think, pretty frequently with some, a lot of open source projects too in general, which is kind of unfortunate. But that is something that is a possible risk factor that could happen with a lot of these projects too. You know, people could be working on a project and then 
stop and stop working on it later on and then no one else is hacking on it if the people who are leading it don't constantly contribute to it it might just uh stay flat i think that what would motivate these projects to continue growing and becoming more amazing and you know utilized by people in the outside world like these real world applications mm. is if we can get a little bit of usage of it mm. so if there are some people even if just a couple people are using these types of applications for something beneficial that can actually be applied that's already of, of value right so like even if we can get a little bit of that i think that's something that is likely to trickle the motivation for people to continuously maintain and build on the project. I mean, actually the hackathon project that I worked on a couple of years ago with Daniel Himmelstein, um, that project actually got taken in by a cancer foundation. Right. That project. That, but, that's really satisfying just to see that, you know, um, and I'm sure there'll be great results coming out of this hackathon. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal, just the few people we've spoken to already. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic to know this is going on. And thank you so much for motivating all these great participants to take part and catalyzing, you know, partnerships. Um, are you finding there are, you know, you're helping to catalyze part partnerships? So what, what we're planning on doing is, so this coming week on April 15th, actually, is Global Graph Celebration Day. So mm. it's going to be actually, it's the birthday, 300 years ago, the birthday of Leonard Euler, the mathematician who invented graph theory and many other amazing things. Mm. Um, so uh, so that's April 15th, you said? Yep, April 15th. So right. actually last year was the first day that we had our community celebrate it and people hosted Global Graph Celebration Days all over the world. And uh, we had, I think we had 60 events in six continents that were all organized by our community. It was amazing. Amazing. And year, all the events had to become virtual. Well, some, some are going virtual, some are going to be postponed to later in the year, which is really unfortunate, but it's still like a day that we we're, that we're want to be able to celebrate, which is why we chose that day to be the day to showcase these projects. But that doesn't mean that people should stop working on it. No, no. And that, that's great that, that you've got that day and it's, it's, very, it's, it's coming up very soon. And mm. are you planning to, you know, uh, trickle it through social media? Like how, how are you planning to celebrate that? Or yeah, so we're going to amplify the message and yeah. get it out. How are you getting the word out? So we're going to be doing some promotion that's just general promotion, right? So we're going to do social media. We have blog posts, things like that. Um, I'm encouraging the community members, like people who are like leading the projects to also, you know, try to push it out to different sources and things like that. One of the things that we have in the project submission form, and this is actually open for like, if other people who are listening also have a graphs for good project, that's like, that they want to submit to the graphs for good uh, hackathon, they could actually utilize the form and submit it. But it asks them if they're interested in having press, like general PR, like public relations, trying to get you publicity. And yeah. I, well, this is actually one of the things that I think might be a little challenging for our hackers because it, <laughs> it has, so it's broken down and we tried to make it as easily digestible, uh -huh. uh, but it basically has to, the hackers have to try to explain their projects, yeah. why they chose this problem and how it makes an impact in a non-technical way. Yeah. Right? So but that's what you're there for. I mean, you've exactly. got your background in entertainment and, you know, it's, it's just like, if you get it, I'm sure then, you know, the rest of the world will get it. So yeah, it's, yeah. They, they're translators, don't they? It's lovely. You know. We're sending it to our PR people but and then, they're going to be sharpening yeah. it up. But so. they're also really good 
you know, at getting the, the, the details. And I, I just love going to, to the source and what, what inspires them is, is, is always really, really cool. And, you know, just in this podcast, you know, we talk to people interested in humanitarian applications and it's humanitarian AI. I'm just curious, is there anything humanitarian actors can be doing to leverage hackathons to bring technology to the humanitarian field? Uh, I know you said everyone, you know, loves doing good things, but you know, from your experience, perhaps what can be improved, what advice can maybe tech companies uh, give humanitarian organizations? Is that something you yeah. can speak to? That'd be great. Um, so I'm, I'm going to share my opinion. I don't right. know if this is, if everyone else is going to support this kind of idea, mm-hmm. right? But what I've seen a lot of, so before we announced the hackathon, we had a lot of people who were interested in working on a, a COVID-19 project, like a graph project, which is amazing. Many of them, had similar ideas for what they wanted to build, right? They're like, I want to build a knowledge graph or I want to build this or I want to build that. And I feel like more could be accomplished if everyone works together. Now, this is like in a very, speaking very idealistically, right? It's like not always that simple to be able to do that. There's like, even like just generally language barriers makes it difficult to do it, right? But if, if we could kind of put our heads in together and figure out like, how can we tie these pieces in to make them valuable and applicable across different domains? I think that that might be kind of an interesting approach that I would love to see more of. I'm not exactly sure what the solution would be for it. There are some sites that I've seen that are kind of just collecting a bunch of data of all these like positive types of projects and people can search on it and see where they can contribute to stuff, which I think is really great. But the collaboration piece, I think, is really important. And what do you think's blocking that? You know, what's your kind of feeling or experience of, you know, what what's keeping silos um, in place? Or, you know, how would you encourage collaboration? What's blocking that, do you think? I think that there's just a massive amount of information in our world, and it's kind of difficult to navigate through. So if there was, uh, hypothetically speaking, one source, like if, you know, if like, let's say uh, there was one source where like, these are the types of projects people are working on where somebody could like suggest a new project if it doesn't already exist. If it does exist, you can collaborate with that project, yeah. right? So like, if there was like one source where everyone could go to like all do positive hacking where it's not like siloed, like you said, siloed in all these different places. So like, I might start working on something because I couldn't find it. And then two weeks later, I might be telling somebody else about it. And they're like, oh, there's already a project like that. I saw it, you know, on this other thing. Hmm. So I think that that's, I think it's, I think it's a challenge. I think philosophically speaking, it's probably an easier solution to solve than. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's got me thinking about what kind of industries are naturally doing this already, you know, and in history, where we have we learned that this has worked, you know, and you feel like mostly in the scientific community, maybe, maybe. And even there, it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, no, that's a good point. I think that that, that makes sense. A lot of people take what other people have built and use that research and build on it. Um, Right. And that's something and that's the same concept, I think, of how we can advance if we are working on projects. Right. Which are like then don't want them died down. If we could somehow create this like chain of events of improvement 
along the way, I think that that's something that's, that's an interesting comparison. I think that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, just thinking about the participants in hackathons, like I was expecting to, you know, see lots and lots of students and, and of course they probably are. Um, but there's also people from, you know, non-student backgrounds. So what are you finding? Like Brent and I always, you know, like to see how, let's say nonprofits can help for profits and, and that collaboration. What are you finding from the participants in, in the hackathon? Is there, is there support from different stakeholders in, in the AI kind of community? I think that the biggest probable, probably, and at least in this specific hackathon, um, the biggest value prop that a lot of like uh, third parties and like nonprofits and things that have, have done that have been extremely valuable is provide data, um, clean data, clean structured data. That's a big deal. And what I've seen a lot of people kind of struggle with is the ability to find where all the perfect data sources are, the perfect perfect data sources. Let me rephrase that, just data sources, the var various data sources, because there are some that are varied across others. And there's some where like everyone's a go-to, go like the John Hopkins thing, everyone's going there for COVID data, but there's other yep. sources also. So I think that that's very powerful um, because if, if people are given the tools they need to be able to make things successful, because that's really the reality. They want to be able to build stuff that's useful. So, you know, maybe John Hopkins could have been like, hey, we're also going to showcase all the people who are using this data and all their different projects and, you know, like something like that, since everyone's going there ready for their data. Yeah. Um, you know, that's... Uh, that's something that I think is probably giving, if, if, if these if nonprofit organizations have the ability to provide something to the community that they can then utilize in whatever they're building, I think is a value. Mm. And you mentioned clean data. I mean, I usually get the opposite that nonprofits don't have clean data and so they just look at, you know, they, they look to like, you know, the, the, the bigger organizations that, that are, you know, they know what to do with metadata and really, you know, mm -hmm. have, I think, you know, the, the geolocation people seem to be, you know, good at that. I don't know if that probably crosses into, obviously, to what you're doing. But um, I have a, another question. So is it hard to engage the humanitarian community or to bring humanitarian organisations to the table at hackathons? What What was challenging there for you? So we didn't actually make an effort to bring humanitarian organizations to the table. They, it's either the hackers, they provided like these, these organizations that provided some data that our hackers then worked on, or some of the organizations might have already done some work, which in that case had some like data that's a little bit cleansed, um, right? Uh, versus just giving people raw data, which is also okay too. Like if you have raw data and you don't have the ability to clean it, as long as you know, provide it, it's better than nothing. But I think that if they have already started an initiative, sometimes if they have technologists that are looking to build projects that have longer term goals and visions, sometimes they're out there looking for collaborators and opportunities and they're getting involved in any way that they can. Mm. Um, but yeah, usually it's, we kind of have, which probably should be a little bit backwards rather than, you know, we could be talking to the humanitarian organizations and being like, what do you guys want to build? And then giving people the option to work on one of the projects that's proposed by the organizations rather than opposite.
So and, and, and it, it's nice that it's embedded in organizations like, you know, we're seeing more and more people speak to corporate social responsibility, but, you know, most organizations don't have dedicated liaisons specializing in advancing cooperation in the area of artificial intelligence. I'm, I, I mean, we're finding a little bit more of that happening, I think. I mean, I, you know, I've seen some interesting projects with like Code for America, where they had, where it, they didn't, the organizations didn't necessarily have somebody as a liaison, but inside of Code for America or one of their brigades, uh, there would be a person who's a technologist or a data person or whatever that would be passionate about this thing. And they would generally create that relationship where they would right. find out who it is that they, they have to speak to the organization. And they're like, don't worry, I will take this from here. And they kind of take the lead as the liaison without necessarily being asked to. Yeah, um, which yeah. I think no, is that's, really cool. that's a great reference. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And what should the humanitarian community know about graph databases and the power of, of graph databases? What, what can you um, share there? I'm biased and mm-hmm. I am addicted to graphs. Uh-huh. I so is Brent, like actually. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a work of art, actually. I'm, I'm starting to see oh the, God, it's amazing. the artistry and the complexity and the beauty. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's so cool. You know, it's the weirdest thing. So, I, you know, I had mentioned to you that I had connected with Neo4j I'm like, we're going to publicize this podcast. So I'm like, everyone I know is going to hear that this is the true story of what happened. But when I heard about Neo4j and I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, it's a graph database. In my mind, I automatically made assumptions about what I thought a graph database was. And I thought it was actually like an auto ML type tool where you just like dump a bunch of data and then it just does some random algorithms and just gives you some charts or whatever. That's what I thought it kind of uh-huh. was. I was like, oh, graphs, charts, right? This very changeable word. Like you can use both terms. And about a year later is when I actually found out what a graph database was. And I was blown away because so for people who don't know what it is, and I mentioned it at the beginning because I, I do really, I advocate for it because I love it. And I really do think in graphs, but it's the ability to be able to store your data exactly as you model it on a whiteboard. If you have highly connected data, right? You have a person and they have a characteristic and they do these actions and, this like network of massive amounts of data and the cool thing about like neo is that it's a native graph database so it's not like you're adding a network visualization on top of tables but you are storing the data in that shape where the relationships between pieces of data are first class citizens and they can have properties and and uh geospatial information and date and time and all this cool stuff so like if you have this crazy connected complex graph and you need to hop 10 hops out, you can. And if you think about like anything in our world, and this is why I love graphs so much, but I'm like, I'm very passionate about it. Everything in our world is shaped like networks. Like how much stuff do we really have that's a table? Even if we have it as a table, generally there are other things that factor in to that piece of data inside a table, right? It's not just that simple. Everything is like the way our brain works the way our genetics work, the way we react to things, right? Everything. And I think that that's a powerful thing. I think it's going to have a huge impact as technology develops on the capabilities of what you have to be able to do. Absolutely. It lets you, um, and and the linguist in me loves it as well, you know, and the artist. And I mean, and you should see the chatbots. You'd love it. Have you seen (laughs) chatbot graphs? It's crazy. Oh my gosh. No, I should actually. Maybe They're so cool. I mean, if you think about like the way we speak, right? Mm-hmm. 
the way we speak. Oh my gosh, now you've got me going. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when I say this word, what am I likely to say after? Now, am I likely to say this afterwards if I'm angry, which is another piece of a network? Like if my emotions are here or if I'm doing something else, how am I, is my path of words going to change? Like that's all. It's also predictive. That's fascinating. Cause when I, when I was like really heavily into, you know, language and linguistics and Cambridge had the biggest corpus of language, both spoken and written and Oxford and the things that would have to go into collecting that language. It was just really looking at behavior and what was being written and spoken. And now, now you're actually, yeah talking about predicting oh, cool. so that's phenomenal that's phenomenal yeah. see oh you would nerd gosh. out on these oh like i'm totally into it wow yeah, wow wow uh, yeah, you know when you think about like on. i had this like philosophical conversation with somebody mm. who's like uh actually somebody who also works at neo4j who right. really loves like the mix of neuroscience and graphs and you know just the concept of how you could just talk about it philosophically but uh one of the things we were talking about is like if you could ever reproduce a machine to respond the way people do, because we are emotional, right? So like, if you come to me on a good day and ask me like, hey, Kareem, can you do this? I might say, yeah, I could do that, it's a good day. But if you ask me that same thing on a bad day, I'm gonna respond differently, right? But all those wirings are all networks in our mind of like how we respond to things and how we perceive things and how other things around us affect those things. And it it gets really crazy, but What's cool about doing graph type analysis mm. is you can identify those patterns. So you could say, oh, well, when she reacts like this, these other patterns are all taking place at the same time. And, and then, so next time when all these other patterns are also in line like that or similar to it, you could say she's probably going to respond like this again. So, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's crazy phenomenal so is there anything new you'd like to try with hackathons uh next year by any chance like yes moving to future things <laughs> yes um i think it would be cool i actually got inspired by you because oh, no. i think that no. it would be cool to almost do things a little bit backwards so this year we didn't have as much time to plan because it was like graph connects canceled we have to make our hackathon virtual so it was like everything was like in a week um but I mean, it still turned out amazing and there's some like really fascinating projects but it would be cool to see the humanitarian organizations come with some kind of an idea for a project mm. because that way when we're working on projects we have an applicable place for it already that's right? a great of like, action absolutely yeah. well wow. i got i got i got inspired by you for that wow because i didn't think about it before that's that's <laughs> awesome and so let's continue that conversation. Sounds great. Um, yeah, we can work on it next year if you guys wanted to. So I, I think we, we probably covered quite a bit. Is there anything else that's coming up that you'd like to share? That we've got the 15th of April day. Is there anything you want our community to do for that? No, I mean, if they're working on any graphs for good projects, we're going to be publishing a lot of like resources of how we're like interested in supporting a lot of the graphs for good projects, including like PR. So like if they're working on something that has a positive impact and they want, if it's obviously it has to be graph related Neo4j because like it's, you know, they're through the organization. But um, if it's like if they have a graph related project that they're working on, it's graphs for good and they're using Neo4j in some kind of interesting way and they want publicity for it. That's something we could potentially help them with or like some resources. I know like they're, we've already published some for like a lot of the COVID projects are offering the over J enterprise um, at no cost. So things like that. Sounds good. Yeah, no, I think, I think we'll definitely have some takers. 
but um, uh, any any parting words on COVID-19? You know, what's your feeling? How are you feeling about it? In general? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, It's weird. Okay, yeah. I'll say this because I think, so I, I've been managing our global community for three mm. years. Yeah. And even though, like, so right now everyone is locked in their house, right? Yeah. It's like, yep. you would think, that this pulls us away from each other more than ever. But what I have seen in terms of the feeling in our community mm-hmm. is that it is very, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Like uh, uniting yeah. because no matter what your culture or your language, I mean, there are some like anomalies in there, right? But uh, like, like everything, but with your cultures and languages and different countries and who we are and what we're doing and do we have kids or are we by ourselves or we're family or who, whatever, but everyone kind of is resonating with the experience. And I've never seen anything like that where you could talk to anybody from any other country and the conversation starts like, how are you? Like, really, how are you? And they, and the, they resonate with the feeling of what they're kind of going through. You know, yeah, like it I, come, it's it's a lot deeper, and and I was yeah. chatting to a friend who um, um, works in entertainment, and she, yeah, no, she's like, it, it's amazing how how much you know we're learning about people and technology through this time. It's um, it's it's phenomenal. You know, it it's really brought out a lot of the best in humanity. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so what did she say that she learned about people? Oh, okay. I mean, from from um, some friends do like parties. We have the Sunday brunch. Um, this great DJ who's got some uh, something called Deep and Sexy Alex Cruz does all these great kind of parties every Sunday brunch, and he's got the whole world dancing. Whatever wow. time zone you're on, and you know, I'm I'm drinking mimosas at 11 a.m. on a Sunday, you know, dancing. <laughs> Is that not normal? <laughs> while, while making lunch, you know, it's, it's just, and then you'll see people dressing up as if they're at Burning Man, you know, yeah. at, at, in their homes. And, you know, someone's in Brazil, someone else is in Colombia. I'm in San Francisco. There's people just absolutely everywhere. And yeah. It's just, it's just been something that everyone just feels like this is so unbelievably, you know, just, special you know something quite quite remarkable about it um so I was telling her about that and she was just wow 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 you know she she she's like I, I she wanted to to study that you know she wanted to study how tech and human behavior and and maybe the graphs you know your your hackathon oh look at you falling into the yeah. graph of oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah no no I'm I'm just like you <laughs> know what, what, what's going on absolutely you know it's really it's really fascinating from on so many levels, but but also on a practical level. You know, how do we, you know, help people who who are actually you know in need of help? And and there's you know all sorts of things going on. But yeah, no, I th- I think it's 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 got a lot more personal. There's more depth and you know less of an agenda. Really, I don't know. Yeah. Any takeaways? Any takeaways as as we wrap things up? I'm glad that you guys are making this into a thing and like just known that it's like an initiative that is something that people should embrace and be involved in, you know? Yeah. Even just being aware of things I think is valuable. Like anything that's like humanitarian AI projects, it's good to be valuable about because what happens with people Mm -hmm. is that they transfer information to other people. And sometimes that's how opportunities can be created. 
Right. Somebody's working on an interesting humanitarian project and you guys are highlighting it to other people. And who knows, maybe one of these other people finds an interesting opportunity and tells another person about it. And then, you know, it's hard to track that stuff, but I bet it happens. It's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Corinne, for letting us interview you today. It was yeah. great speaking with you. And this wraps up another episode of Humanitarian AI Today.